In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, there are a lot of different explanations about the Reformation, a lot of theories about why such an incredible event took place when it did and where it did. There's the, there's the technological explanation with the new technology of the printing press. The discontent of the, of the German Saxons could spread throughout the world. Or there's the political explanation that the German dukes were looking for any excuse to throw off the taxes and levies and fees and overreaching, overbearing rule of the Roman church. There's the cultural explanation that the Renaissance and the Enlightenment were beginning to spring forth in Germany and this had to change the way things were done and the way that people thought. There is the fermented theory, or this is the best name I have for it. I can't think of another one. The beer theory, maybe. (laughs) It's the one that Pope Leo X held to when he heard the 95 Theses and he said that they have to send someone up there to sober up that drunken German monk Luther. There is, and this is my favorite, (laughs) the meteorological theory. And that it goes something like this. That there was a mini, I think I've told you guys this before, there was a mini ice age during the time of Luther's Germany. And and everyone was so freezing cold that they had to stay inside and they got really grumpy and poof, they became Lutheran. (laughs) This to me explains so many things. Like, why there's so many Lutherans in Minnesota. (laughs) Now, there might be elements of truth in all of these, I mean, historical truth in all of these theories, but none of them gets even close to getting to the heart of the matter, for none of them discuss, really, the radical teaching of the Scriptures that was at the heart of the Reformation that, that, that Luther brings forth. None of them mention Jesus. Can you imagine it? I saw a few years back a PBS special on Luther, and it went on for an hour or two about the economics, the politics, the corruption in the church, the grammar, the independent spirit of Luther, and all this stuff, and it never once mentioned Jesus. Can you imagine? But that's how it is even today in Germany. This summer, Carrie and I were there. We saw all of these Luther sites, Erfurt, Wittenberg, Eisleben, and Eisenach. All of these cities have huge Luther statues in the middle of the town square. All of them have huge churches where Luther preached or did all of this stuff. And these churches are empty. And the people, for the most part, are secular. Luther's a folk hero. He's the man who invented the German language or whatever it is. Luther and the Lutheran Reformation in the mind of most people has nothing to do with Jesus. It was about one man standing against the machine and liberating his conscience. But Luther knew nothing of a liberated conscience. In fact, he says that very thing. My conscience is held captive to the Word of God. All of these theories... All of this understanding of the Reformation that that doesn't have the gospel and Jesus at the center are exactly and precisely wrong. For the Reformation is about Jesus. And to be more precise, the Reformation is about this question, how does Jesus save us? Does he need our help? Does he want our help? The Reformation is about the radical teaching of the Scriptures that the Lord Jesus does everything, 
absolutely everything, start to finish, to save us, to have us as His own dear saints and His children, to give us His righteousness and perfection in the forgiveness of all of our sins. This teaching comes to us under the biblical word justification, which simply means to declare righteous. Justification is a legal term. It's courtroom language. It is when a judge pronounces a man to be innocent, he is justified. So our Lord Jesus died to give us that gift of innocence, of justification. And He gives it to us, not when we do enough or work enough, but simply when we believe His promise. That is, justification is by faith alone. This, dear saints, is what St. Paul is teaching us in the epistle lesson that we just heard from Romans chapter 3. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means they fall short of being commended by God and are justified, it says in verse 24, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forth as a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice by His blood to be received by faith. So God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 4 verse 28, we hold that one is justified, declared to be righteous and holy by faith apart from the works of the law. And if that is not clear enough, Paul will absolutely exclude works from justification in just a few verses. Romans 4, verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. There's no works here. Just, just faith. Just trusting the promise. And our salvation is accomplished. It's finished. And this, dear saints, is important. For it is either Jesus giving us justification as a gift, or it is our earning it as a reward. And the Scriptures are clear that salvation and forgiveness are an absolute gift. At the time of the Reformation, the Church, and this is the Roman Catholic Church, was teaching that salvation was accomplished through a, co a cooperation between God and man. Grace is poured into you, and by that grace you're empowered to do good works that stand as meritorious before God. We are justified, said the Roman church, by faith and works. Now you might say that was 500 years ago, but we were over at St. Therese Parish on Thursday night, and a handful of you guys were there with me, and Father Bert and I were having this very conversation, talking about the same thing. And we can verify that the teaching of the Roman church hasn't changed these 500 years. It was stunning to hear Father Bert argue that works are necessary for salvation, that we have to cooperate with grace, etc. No. God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. But it's true that everywhere we look, 
not just to our friends in the Roman Catholic Church, but in all other churches. Everywhere we look, this teaching is being denied. There are many of you have visited other congregations and come back and told me that the Lord Jesus was never even mentioned in the sermon. This is like someone giving you a plate without any food on it and saying, eat up. The church stands or falls on this teaching of Jesus, on this teaching of justification of the sinner through faith alone. But look, Reformation Sunday is not a Sunday for triumphalism. As if we would all gather here and pat ourselves on the back for being Lutheran and for having the gospel. That would be simply creating a new good work, a new form of boasting. And the latter state would be worse than the first. We must know that the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh oppose the gospel, the doctrine of justification, wherever it is taught and preached and believed. The Lord's justification of the sinner is constantly being opposed by our pride, by our lust to have some little credit for the Lord's gift, for our sinful desire to stand alongside God, to cooperate with Him. We want so bad to do it, but, but the Lord Jesus won't let us. Imagine this. Imagine you're having a, a, a dinner party and you're having some friends over, some important friends, some friends that you would really like to impress. And right before they arrive, you go upstairs where you had told your children, uh, you had told them that they needed to clean their room. And you went up 30 minutes, an hour before the guests came, and you found that all day the children had been in their room making a lot of noise like they were cleaning, but instead they were absolutely wrecking the place. And it was, it was dirtier and messier and more of an absolute disaster than you had ever seen it in your life. And so you sat down your children on the bed. And you said to your children, Dear children, I'm going to tell you the most important thing that I've ever told you in your life. I'm going to give you the strictest command for you to obey. More strict than any other command I've ever given you. I'm going to solemnly tell you to do something now, and I want your absolute obedience. Now, children, listen here. You sit on that bed and do nothing while I clean up this room. Do not move. Do not lift your finger to help. Do not give me any advice. Do not budge. I'm going to do it all. And if you get off that bed and presume to help me and presume to lift a single thing, fold a single shirt, put a single sock in the drawer, then you will have my eternal displeasure. <laughs> Our flesh can barely understand the gospel. It grates against everything that we are. But it is the truth. God has taken all of our sins and laid them all on the back of His Son, Jesus, so that He could take all of Jesus' righteousness and perfection and obedience and give it to you. Your sins are forgiven. Not because you deserve it. Not because you've earned it. 
Not because you've done something to merit it. Not because you didn't resist it or reject it. Not because of anything that you've done. Your salvation, in fact, is in spite of the things you've done. You are saved because even when you were his enemy, Christ Jesus loved you and took your sin and your guilt and your punishment and died for you. He claims you as his own. He forgives you. And he gives you eternal life. And this, dear saints, is what the Reformation is all about. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.